What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts, and joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? It's going. I'll be honest, I'm a little tired. This is the earliest we have ever recorded the Draft Chaff episode, and to be fair, I'm usually still asleep at this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, hopefully we can uh, get through it and chat about our topic here. I'm not going to spoil it just yet, but we'll get through it. Maybe you can get back to bed, take a nap mid-afternoon or something, and uh, <laughs> catch up on lost sleep. That said, this week we are covering something that's been a hot topic lately. Ben very cleverly named this Everyone Has a Price of Loyalty, and I think that's a very apt name for this topic. We're going to be talking about Red Black mostly, with a little bit about what actually constitutes the archetype itself, what we've seen from the 17 lands data about the archetype, what we think is probably the direction you should go if you're hoping to beat the archetype, and then our thoughts kind of on all things surrounding the archetype. There are a lot of other content creators making content on this right now, so we're going to try to do a little bit of a unique twist on it, and, and we'll see how that goes. But before we jump into it, of course, our usual housekeeping, check out the Discord if you're not in it already. That's the best place to go to chat with us and the rest of our community and stay apprised about all things Draft Chaff. We do occasionally do giveaways and things in the Discord, and so you'll definitely want to be there for various reasons such as that. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show, check that out at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons that support us each and every week. We really are beyond grateful that you're supporting us in that way. Perks include things like stickers, show notes, unedited recordings, post and pre-show nonsense, as well as our Draft Chaff Hero cards signed by us and sent to you with a little thank you note for being a patron. We're also going to continue rolling out new things throughout the year to the Patreon, including private Discord channels for deck techs and what's the picks and things of that nature. So be on the lookout for that. Again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. On to our crack and draft type thing. This is a segment of the show where we do a pick one, pack one, or otherwise a pick within a draft. It's not always a pick one, pack one. And in fact, this week it's not. So Ben, why don't you walk us through this? So a lot of the times with the crack and draft type things, I'll admit, sometimes I pick one where I get the show off a little bit, where it's like, wow, look, I just had an abundance of riches. I had all these things. So I think it's time to swing back into the direction and kind of out myself. This is a mistake that I made while drafting. So this was in quick draft, pack two, pick one. Now, pack one was fine. I first picked Eye of Vecna, which I hadn't actually gotten the chance to play with yet at the time. I like it in aggro lists i do not like it in aggro mirrors <laughs> but uh, the ability to pay a little bit of life and draw an extra card can be pretty useful to refill your hand so in pack one i picked up some random assorted stuff like a warlock class a dungeon crawler the eye that i mentioned deadly dispute an ogre a grim bounty hobgoblin captain tiger tribe hunter and then some junk so it was looking pretty black red already from the start yeah that sounds like a solid red black base for me yeah. Now, to be fair, I knew that Black Red was probably going to be open. I had seen some of the, the murmurings on Twitter and other things talking about how Black Red was particularly open in Quick Draft. And I was thinking, hmm, well, it just looks like it was open. I wasn't forcing this. This is just what I got. You know, this seems like the kind of area I want to be. Although notably, the cards that I have right now are very disjointed. I was not happy with this start. There's some power in here. The Hunter, the Bounty, the Eye. But these are all like little sprinkling on top cards. These are the cards that you want to help round out your deck, not necessarily mainstay components. The Captain and the Warlock class, or I guess those are going in, but, you know, I, I want a little more beef to my deck. 
So now here in pack two, pick one, we're going to particularly be looking at the black and red cards in the pack. There's a bunch of other stuff, but it, I wouldn't likely pick a card in another color unless it was super powerful here. Our rare is Orb of Dragonkind. So that was a <laughs> that was a bit of a disappointment. We got Barbarian class, Lightfoot Rogue, and uh, Rust Monster in the higher rarity slot in the uncommons. And then in commons, Herald of Adar. It's kind of like it. There's an Eyes of the Beholder, Inspiring Bard, Spare Dagger, which I do like, but uh, we're not really taken here. And then there's a, you guessed it, Price of Loyalty. And I didn't take it, and that was a mistake. I took the Rogue. I thought, little two-drop, it attacks. I have crit with this thing a few times, actually, and it's really funny when it happens. <laughs> I actually had a hilarious situation. My opponent had me for nearly lethal. They played like a Sararak, and they had just like actually landed it and stuck it, and they were about to swing for a bunch next turn. And I did the math. I had a, you come to the goblin camp. That's the one where you can make two creatures not block. So I ran the numbers. I would have been able to make two of their creatures not be able to block, full swing, and I would have needed to hit a 10 to 20 on the, the rogue in order to win the game. Because I was dead on, on their attack. I had like one fewer creature than they did. It, the math worked out. And I needed to hit a 10 or 20. I was a coward. I didn't go for it because I thought I had some good draws. I had a Warlock class that was on the battlefield in six lands. And I was like, I just need to top deck the land. And then, I'm, then I've got it for sure. And they top decked a Dragon's Fire and swung for lethal. <laughs> so nice. I, I was a coward. And that's what I deserve. I should have swung. But anyway, Rogue has done some work. I took the Rogue here. That was a mistake. I'm not actually a fan of the rogue, to be honest. It's a two mana two one that has death touch and occasionally first strike. You don't really care about the power pump most of the time. Like death touch is death touch. I mean, sometimes you want to get in for the extra damage because they don't want to block your death toucher. But typically you want your death toucher to sit back on defense like an underdark basilisk and yeah. just like sit there and stop your opponent from attacking. And then this is like very rarely going to get first strike. So like it's a very, very unreliable adventurer, the triumphant adventurer. I have not been super happy with this card, to be honest. Yeah, I have gone down on this card ever since. We've been seeing a lot more 1-1 goblins roaming around. I think the, the, the goblin swarm, whatever that thing is called, I think it's starting to see a lot of play, and people are starting to play more top-end cards. Uh, just jamming a bunch of four and fives, and you could play three or four of those in a deck and reasonably just flood the board with stuff. You also can just venture twice and get a goblin... And what, you're going to spend a removal spell on their 1-1? One, one? Like, no. Yeah, it makes X-1s look a lot less appealing, especially ones that don't give themselves first strike all the time. The Hobgoblin Captain is just a lot better in that regard. I should have taken Price of Loyalty here because, as it turns out, the red-black sack deck is just the nuts. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Right, so on to our Teferi Tibalt. This is the segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben... What went on last week? What happened? Well, it's been nice to start seeing some friends IRL again. But my Teferi is that it's just been nicer to see people and like do things in person. And I think that's something that I really wasn't appreciating for a while. Like got vaccinated. A lot of my friends got vaccinated immediately. So we were all able to start doing things again. And now it's starting to feel a little bit more normal. Definitely not back to normal, but it's starting to get like a at least I'm able to do things and I'm less depressed about not seeing people. Like I'm able to go out to a bar with some friends again or 
like meet up at my apartment to play magic or smash or something. So that I think I really wanted to just take a minute to appreciate, given that we went for an awfully long time where that was just not a thing that could happen. And my tivil is that summer is going too fast. I have, I guess, only like a month left before I'm going to be in school mode. I always thought of summer as like a three month break for teachers. It's not. It's a two month and it's kind of less than that. So I am not looking forward to that. I'm going to try to spend as much time as I can relaxing and doing other stuff. But I have a lot of prep to do eventually. And man, an in-person school year, that sounds a little daunting. I'll think about that next month. <laughs> Classic Ben Fisher move. So for me, I'm about to go on a trip to Germany, which is super exciting. And I'll be leaving. Well, I guess I'm there right now, actually. We're recording this a bit before <laughs> I leave. So I'm, I'm actually here in the middle of Germany as we speak, probably enjoying myself a lot and having a great time getting to see some stuff. I, I spent a month there a few years ago now, and I'm going back to the same place that I was before. So mm. it'll be nice to be back again and see how it's changed in the few years I've not been there. And I won't be there exactly as long but it, it'll be really nice you mentioned in next week's episode that there's some good chocolate over there <laughs> what's, what's right up with that? yeah it's fantastic yeah we had a weird recording schedule to try, no, try to make it for me being gone so <laughs> don't tell them they'll figure it out yeah yeah the chocolate's great my tibble this week is actually that last night one of my favorite things to do is cook i really like to cook food i really like to learn how flavors pair and all that kind of stuff my wife is not a huge fan of cooking but she likes food in general so we like to do that kind of together i'm also very very neurotic about how things are done in the kitchen like dicing methods and how you're handling tools and different things so it's often kind of like a point of contention when like we're trying to cook together because i'll get upset about the way that she's doing something and then she'll get upset that i'm getting upset and it's just like a, a thing that doesn't really work too well so we found a happy medium I like to cook, so I'll do the cooking. She'll sit at the counter and we'll get like a glass of wine or something and just chat while I'm cooking. And it's been great. It's a very nice awesome. way to just settle and not have our phones near us and just, you know, learn about each other and, and catch up on each other's days. Well, last night, and she's been working a lot of late nights. So last night she didn't get home until 930 at night, typically later than I like to eat, but I like to eat with her. So we, I was waiting and my idea for this, we've been trying to plan out like meals and do, do unique things lately because it's very easy to get into a rut and just make the same thing week in and week out. Mm -hmm. So I was making pretzel crusted chicken nuggets Ooh. for dinner and they turned out great. So that's not the tibble. Nice. But I was making them and my roommate also got in late last night as well. So they were cooking kind of late and we were like kind of on top of each other and we're puppy sitting his parents dog. So we uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a packed apartment at the moment. Nice. We're all on, on top of each other trying to cook. And I reached in. I was making potato wedges along with the, the, the pretzel nuggets. So I reached into the oven to grab the potato wedges out. And my forearm, the front of my forearm, bumped the rack in the oven. So it Ooh. obviously burned. It was 400 degrees Fahrenheit. And Yikes. in my jerk reaction that I had no control over, I yanked my arm back. But in doing so, I hit the inner part of my forearm on the door of the oven, which oh. burned that part. <laughs> so, you know, good job, body. Thanks for doing the thing that you're supposed to do, but also being stupid. I noticed in the show notes, you put down burning hands. And I must assume that's a reference to the two mana instant deal to to target creature planeswalker in this very set. The question is, did it deal six? Are you a green mage or no? Maybe. I wasn't last night, but I think sometimes I identify as a green mage because I do like to play Simic. And I do like Teamer. And so sometimes I like to get green in my decks, but not always. 
Fair enough. Let's get to our listener question of the week. Uh, this one is coming from Dorigan. If you could have an Innistrad card reprinted in the upcoming Innistrad sets, what would it be? And now I'm going to assume this could be like any Innistrad, whether it's OG Innistrad or the Shadows of Innistrad. Sure. I mean, Innistrad is one of my all-time favorite aesthetics. I love the flavor from it. It's some of my favorite cards of all time are from Innistrad. Just rattling off some Lingering Souls and Lily of the Veil and Gitrog Monster. Like these cards are awesome in design. Werewolves are amazing. I would love to see Huntmaster of the Fells come back, especially because we're getting a werewolf themed set. And Huntmaster, I don't even think would be that pushed. It would be very, very, very good in standard. It would be absolutely tier one. You could put it into the best werewolf deck in the format. You'll wind up with like a sweet red green werewolves list. I'm in for that. That sounds sick. That does sound pretty cool. I wonder if Huntmaster would need more werewolf support, which obviously it would get, but I guess it doesn't actually care all that much. I mean, it's more of an enabler. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I think it would be fine. I mean, it's a four mana 2-2 two, two at its face. I know it does a lot more than that, but, you know, I don't mm. think it'd be that terribly powerful for standard. I, th- I think it would be doable. And it's not going to break any other formats because it's already legal and everything. And historic, it's not going to ma- matter that much in. Also, like, Gyre Reach Bandit, Lamholt Pacifist. Oh, man, Mayor of Avabrook. There's so many cool werewolves. And I, I would love to see any of those get the reprint because those, those would all just be so sweet. You surprised me because there was one card I expected you to answer this question with and you didn't even mention it. What card is that? Tireless Tracker. Oh my god, Tireless. I'm so sorry, Tireless Tracker. Uh, I, I take Only it Only your favorite card in Magic. Okay, well, I'm not super confident they would ever reprint Tireless Tracker in a standard. I don't think they'd do that. But I could see them reprinting one of those random werewolves. Tireless Tracker is absolutely just the best. They could jam in Historic. But I don't think they could put it in in standard. Uh, No, maybe they could if there's no other clue or landfall support. That's the thing. That's actually why I think we won't see it. Because the investigate thing was very, ooh, the Eldrazi are on Innistrad. I don't know that we'll see any investigate in these new sets. Unless Emmy's coming back. Oh, man. She is still there. She's hiding out in the moon. Hanging out in the moon. That's... You know, originally I was going to say either of the two Avisons, but she's a little less than alive. I'd like to see Soren reprinted. I really like the black-white Soren. You're going to have to be a little more specific. The six-mana one? Yeah, the six-mana one was really good. So I, I'd like to see that reprinted, and it was great in, like, control, like Esper control shells. Oh, I know. So, yeah, it'd be cool to see that reprinted. I hope we see the werewolf planeswalker, Arlen. I'd like to see her back. Oh man, can we get another Thalia? Another Thalia would be so sick. Another hate bear for, for the gang? Yeah, that would be something. Also, the black red vampire that has the big sack outlet, the big aristocrat, would be interesting. Oh I wonder if that would be too powerful. I might be pushing it. Free sack outlets like that with the push black red stuff from, from this set? Maybe. It would be something. Maybe. Are we going to get like a tier one black red steel and sack? I mean, claim the firstborn is on the way out. I would imagine it's not going to be any stronger than like the cat oven combo. And that's out. Mm. So like, I think aristocrat would work. Like if they could go back to like some form of aristocrats deck, I'm thinking something along the lines of when like Zolport cutthroat was in standard. I don't, I don't think it'd be that much more powerful if, if at Ooh. all. What about a blood artist reprint? It's already in historic. 
Is that too good for standard? Maybe. I mean, uh, is the infinite combo present? When you gain life, opponent loses, and then because they lose, you gain, and it's just the, the infinite veto. cycle. There is veto. veto. The dust is that rotating out or no? It's M21, yeah, so it will be rotating. All right, man. Innistrad is just full of such great stuff. One thing I don't want to see is any Eldrazi. I want zero Eldrazi presence. I want them all to be eviscerated at this point. Hopefully Thraven Inspector did a lot of inspecting and rooted them out of all the, the nooks and crannies. Uh, I hope they're long gone. Emmy's sitting there in the moon. She's going to do something because she put oh, herself man. there. That's not, that's, not a, that's not a prison. Yeah. It's a cozy bed and breakfast. Moon is the bed, Innistrad is the breakfast. Exactly. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But I don't know if you saw some of the spoiler-ish stuff. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers about potentially what's coming in like future sets, maybe tune out for the next 30 seconds or so. But we saw that some domains were registered for different sets and, and Wizards tends to register domains for each set, like a, a URL uh, for a website mm -hmm. for each set. And there was one for Kamigawa and one for... Dominaria. The second Dominaria one is called Dominaria Unite. So a lot of folks are speculating because Karn left to go do his thing with the Phyrexians that maybe all of these little Phyrexian nods are going to culminate with them trying to take over Dominaria again. Mm. Could be pretty cool. And then also a Kamigawa set would be interesting. Um, didn't get to play original Kamigawa, so... I don't know. The, the original set was a weird one. Yeah. Like a lot of bizarre mechanics. I heard Limited was pretty good there. I, I couldn't tell you what Bushido does, <laughs> but or like Soul Shift. I have to read Soul Shift every time I see one. But yeah, all right. Return to Kamigawa. Cool, let's do it. And uh, Dominaria. I mean, they set a pretty high bar with, you know, Dominaria just straight up. But if they can recreate that, good. Let's see it. All right, on to our main topic. Again, this week we're talking about Red Black. We've got a couple of different things to go through. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about with this with this archetype in this particular format. So we're going to kind of dive into some recent problems we've seen develop with the archetype and a little bit more on the vector itself, a little bit more in depth and some ways we can combat the, the archetype as well. So Ben, kick us off here. We can't really talk about Black Red without talking about the quick draft problem. The quick draft, everyone knows it, everyone loves it. You get the draft against the bots instead of drafting against the humans. Now, we just got the release for quick draft and... Almost immediately, it became apparent that red-black was undervalued by the bots and pretty easy to force. So if you want, you can just kind of say, going into it, I'm going to pick black and red cards, and you're going to wind up with a solid deck. Uh, this is because of a variety of things, whether it's the bots overvaluing stuff of other colors or more likely undervaluing specific black and red cards that are actually, you know, staples of like the good black-red deck. Uh, stuff like the Vampire Spawn, Hobgoblin Captain. These things you can get like 7th, 8th pick. But that's not even the most egregious stuff. I'm just saying you can get a good black-red mid-range deck just for free. I actually think it's worse than that. I'm going to plant my flag and say that we have a cycling level threat on our hands. Uh, cycling in Ikoria or Mill in Eldraine. Pre-bot fix for, for both of those. I think this set is actually going to require a pretty hefty bot fix Currently, I don't think Quick Draft is something you want to be doing unless you really love black-red mirror matches. More on that in a bit. So let me give you a little bit of circumstantial evidence. I played two Quick Drafts last night. I wound up in black-red both times. Wasn't forcing it. I knew this was like a thing. I tried to just draft the best of my ability. You saw the start of one of mine above. I just wound up in black-red. Between the two drafts, I played 15 games. I went 3-3 three and three with my first deck and 6-3 and three with my second. 
10 of those 15 games were black red mirror matches the other five contained only one deck that wasn't red it was green white and everything else was a red based deck so my first deck was black red with a virtually non-existent sacrifice package it was the one you saw above I, I drafted one price of loyalty and then didn't end up drafting a sack outlet sometimes it just shakes out like that uh, i didn't see a single sepulcher ghoul well you had the you did have the tribe hunter but yeah oh yeah that's true I, I had the tribe hunter the second one had a much stronger sack package multiple ghouls multiple prices merchant price everything good that you need i also had a xanathar and the Red Planeswalker in that deck. So <laughs> I told you before the show, I went 6-0 and then a brutal three losses to a more consistent sacrifice decks. Black Red is very prevalent in the metagame right now. Even now, just from my little bit of evidence, two-thirds of my games were Black Red Mirrors. So I would say take that as a pretty good baseline if you're planning on going into Quick Draft. Be prepared to play a lot of Black Red and be prepared to probably draft Black Red yourself. I'm not really interested in that. <laughs> what about you? I mean, I haven't really gotten to draft the black red deck, so I wouldn't mind jumping into it for like one or two drafts just to kind of see how the deck comes together. But yeah, I mean, drafting the same deck draft in and draft out is kind of not what we sign up for when we play draft most of the time. Mm -hmm. Like, It really sounds right now that like quick draft with AFR at the moment is not really who can read the table the best and draft the best deck for their seat. It's who can put the best red-black deck together with the cards that are opened in that pool. So, yeah, that's not exactly the same game that I find myself enjoying when it comes to limited magic. If it's your thing, that's awesome, and you're going to enjoy the next probably couple weeks before this gets patched, but, yeah, not really not really my thing. So, Sepulchre Ghoul and Price of Loyalty are kind of the de facto cards of this deck. If you see your opponent with a turn two ghoul and a black and a red source, there's a good chance your stuff is going to get stolen. Other key role players, uh, Deadly Dispute, Hobgoblin Captain, Skullport Merchant, Valor Singer, Death Priest, Tiger Tribe Hunter. You can get all these pretty routinely. These cards won't necessarily wheel, but you can get them like 6th, 7th, maybe even later. And these are all obviously really important parts. These all involve sacrificing or getting value off of things or drawing cards or otherwise incremental value. And they're also all really good at attacking. So even Hobgoblin Captain, which sometimes just acts as a, as a 3-1, occasionally a 3-1 first striker, I have seen the same play pattern multiple times where you, you full swing, get pack tactics. I've had my opponent do this to me. I double block with two two twos. They first strike down one of my tutus, and then they sack their own Hobgoblin Captain to, like, a Deadly Dispute or a Skullport Merchant just to get the extra cards off of it. It's that's pretty so gas. sick. Yeah, it, it, I saw that the first time, and I was like, oh, man, wait a minute. That's pretty sick. I got to try that. So Hobgoblin Captain actually plays a pretty big role in the deck, despite not necessarily looking like it. Valor Singer does a good job of gumming up the ground, making sure your stuff can get in for those little incremental attacks. Really, the, these decks just look like a lot of two twos and th and two threes, just like smacking into each other over and over again until somebody top decks a price, and then the game just goes. Like the ghouls get big, stuff gets stolen, sacrificed, make some treasures. Weirdly enough, the mirror matches are kind of fun because you can sack your own stuff in response to their price of loyalty a lot of the times. So <laughs> you you can still get some pretty fun gameplay. But I'm sure there are people out there that. Anybody that played Jun Sack in Standard or Historic, just go play this draft set. You'll probably have a lot of fun. If you like stealing your opponent's creature and doing the Black Red Sack thing, this is the format for you. However, like I said, a few little quirks to this format, a few notes. 
the better your bombs, the better your opponent's prices of loyalty are. <laughs> yeah. If you've drafted a Inferno of the Star mounts and you put it in your deck, be aware your opponent will likely steal it, smack you for six in the air, and then sack it. If you're at seven life, you might not want to play your Inferno of the Star mounts. It leads to some really interesting gameplay, and it's kind of like a skill tester. Like, can you read if they have the price in their hand? How are they playing? Have they had a card in their hand for a while and they've been playing out their lands? It's a little brain teaser. That is a little fun, I suppose. I think one of the problems is that, like, if their pod happened to open more prices and they're just running, like, four or five of them, there's not really any way you can out-price them, you know, so to speak. Like, mm. you, you're you just going to wait to play your bombs. Meanwhile, they're still doing their game plan. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it feels kind of bad, and I think you really need to be on guard, like, paying attention to getting rid of their things, like their Sepulcher Ghoul and other, like, free ways to steal cards, free ways to sack cards, rather. And it's, it's like, this, this kind of back and forth on who can stick their free sack outlets longer and take advantage of their opponent's stuff for for longer as well and then, you know, try to balance out the game that way because, yeah, I mean, you definitely want to not be giving your opponent your bombs, like, especially on a card that doesn't have haste. Like, if, if you're playing a big dragon that doesn't have haste, you slam that down, pass the turn, and they're like, cool, I'll spend four mana, take that, hit you with it, and then, uh, you know, we'll just sack that and get some cards or whatever or pump my own ghoul or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. That doesn't sound great. Like, that doesn't sound super fun to me. Plus, even when these black-red decks don't have their price in hand, they're still good decks. Like, black-red midrange was already one of the top decks of the format. Even some of the 17 lands data, which we're going to get more into in just a second, has confirmed that without the price and ghoul package, black-red is still up near the top of the format. So you can just do the usual treasures thing. Just play a Skullport Merchant, a Deadly Dispute, sack in the treasure, draw a bunch of cards, sack the other treasure to the merchant. You're doing a lot of stuff. And then when you draw into that package, you just kind of take over no matter what your opponent is doing. There's not too many things that uh, aren't stopped by just stealing, getting smacked for a bunch, and sacking. Yeah, and then on top of that, all your creatures are entering with extra counters because Kalein's doing the Kalein thing. And you're generating all these extra treasures. So even if your opponent's stealing like one thing a turn, but you're playing more threats than that, you're going to just be able to kill them on straight aggro value. One more little note about the format. Magic Missile is basically a Plague Wind. Yeah. Just don't target Ghoul with it. That that won't end the way you think. Unless you want to put all three damage on the Ghoul. However, I've had a few scenarios where my opponent will have like double Hobgoblin Captain and like a Goblin Morningstar token uh, equipped already. And then like maybe one other thing. And in a board stall, it just wipes it. Magic yeah. Missile is very good if you choose to engage in this black-red mirror nonsense because there's a good number of X1s running around. So conveniently enough, this nonsense format, this quick drafts back-and-forth black-red mirror heaven, gives us some pretty good insight into black-red, which is already the best deck in you know human drafting. We had seen some of the data starting to come out. Sirkovitz hosted a fantastic seminar on this, and I... Don't want to just sound like I'm repeating all his talking points. I recommend you go and check out his Twitter thread on this to get some of the hard data. We're going to be talking about some of those things, but a little bit more uh, of our own uh, circumstantial evidence, too. So just taking a quick look at some of the main deck win rates for cards in quick draft. So we're talking about you know quick draft here in 17 lands. I have sorted by main deck win rate up at the very top. The very number one card, Sepulchre Ghoul. 
Shocker, right? <laughs> Not really. You'll never guess what comes next. I'm going to guess it's probably like Nadar, right? Like that's a pretty good card. <laughs> oh, or maybe, maybe Loth or... Yeah. No, I mean, oh, wait a, a minute. It's a powerful mythic. Oh, no, it's actually Price of Loyalty. Those two both sit at the very top with 62%. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's That's strong. Yeah, that's wild. And it doesn't get much better from there if you don't want to play this deck because literally <laughs> we're looking at the top... What is this? The top 20 cards, maybe in terms of just games played win rate, all of them are red black cards and all of them fit the red black deck with one exception. And that exception is with evolving wilds still fits into the deck, <laughs> but it's not technically a red or black card. So just running down the line after ghoul and price, which are both at 62, you got hired hexblade, vampire spawn, improvised weaponry, which is a bit of a surprise. I guess it's because it's so good in the mirror. It makes a treasure and kills like a captain or something. Deadly dispute, dragon's fire, swarming goblins, shambling gas, Faraday's fireball, Fowler singer, plundering barbarian, hoarding ogre, goblin morning star, E-Wilds, army veteran, grim bounty way down there at 58%, which is admittedly still pretty high. But that spread all falls with within 62 to 58%. Yeah, it's wow. a really, really close race here. And a lot of them are even tied. Like Deadly Dispute and Dragon's Fire are tied at 59.8%. Uh, Valisinger and Plundering Barbarian are tied at 58.9%. There is a very, very close threshold here between these like quote-unquote best cards in the format. And they all fit in the same deck. Like, where does this end? I, I haven't actually looked at the full list of these of the win rates here, but like how far down do we have to go to find a card that's not red or black? And what is the win percentage of that card? Because I bet it's quite a bit lower than the rest of these. Yeah, I mean, these are what we would call like the C-level commons in the black-red deck. Plundering Barbarian? Like, it, uh, okay, Faraday's Fireball? Armory Veteran? What? Like, th these are not first-pick slams, but... It, it, it's starting to look like you should be taking Sepulchre Ghoul and Price of Loyalty over everything if you're quick drafting because you're just going to get the other pieces. You know you're going to get the other pieces. The, the, the problem with Black Red Sack is that sometimes you don't get enough, right? Maybe you, you pick three Sepulchre Ghouls in a row and then you never see a Price of Loyalty because somebody else on the line sniped them all or just they don't get opened or something. Or, or you get like one sack outlet and a million price of loyalties. And then that doesn't really work that well either if it's just like a one-off sack outlet, like Deadly Dispute. So here in Quick Draft, we see that you can get these pieces so reliably that this deck has just become about as dominant as it gets. Like I said, I think this is going to require a pretty big patch in order to fix. I do not think this is something that is just going to be meta-corrected. I think, if anything, it's going to get worse <laughs> in the next week or so. Yeah, I just took a look here. The After Grim Bounty, which is the last card on our, the list that we just shared, you have Yuan-Ti Fangblade, Precipitous Drop, Thieves Tools, and then our first non-black red card in Hill Giant Herd Gorger, and it's sitting at a 55.7% win rate. Almost 3% less than the last card we had on that list. That's mind-blowing. Wow. And it's 1.1% it's it's lower than Thieves Tools, which is just above it. So taking a look at the opening hand win rate, I just pulled this up too. Hired Hexblade at 66%, Swarming Goblins at 64.7%, Sepulchre Ghoul at around 64 Hobgoblin Captain, Price of Loyalty, Hoarding Ogre, Shambling Gas, Dragon's Fire, Vampire Spawn, Armory Veteran, and then the Hill Giant. It's like the same list. I, th I think it's worth mentioning too, I mean, these win rates aren't everything, but what we're trying to capitalize on here and what we're trying to really discuss is that 
when you see every component for a particular deck at the top of the win rate categories on just games played, like that's really showing you the full picture of, or at least a, a large portion of the picture of how dominant this deck is. If we just saw Sepulchre Ghoul and Price of Loyalty at the top and then a bunch of other stuff that's not them, I would expect that like the decks that are playing those cards have the full package which I guess is also going to simultaneously like run the win rates of those cards up as well. And that's probably why we're seeing what we're seeing, but that's, that's something to keep in mind. Like in regular draft, it's not as highly advised necessarily to just take the Sepulcher ghoul first pick because well, you might not end up in that deck. And in this case, because the bots don't care about those cards because in, in human draft, everybody knows what red, black is good. Those people are all trying to pick up those cards. And if you're opening a Kalein pack one, pick one, you might take it and then, try to scoop up the rest of the cards and you might not wheel those if somebody else is doing that. And in this case, the bots aren't doing that at all. And we know that. So you can exploit it by taking cards higher than you otherwise would in a human draft because you know, you can get all those pieces. This is a reminder that humans are self-correcting bots are not right. Like people are kind of catching on that red is a great color in AFR limited and black red is probably the best deck, especially the sack deck. However, if three people at your table try forcing black red and then green white is wide open your green white deck will likely wind up better than all three of those red black decks because all the good pieces were spread among three people where maybe you got three chalasaras and a bunch of lurking ropers or something like that so taking one little quick look at the win rate when drawn here we see price of loyalty again at the very top with a 68.1 percent win rate when drawn wow yeah that's, <laughs> that is that is bonkers that is nuts. That is above what we see most mythics in, in like the average set. And then right on its tail, Battlecry Goblin at 65.5%. And I think this is funny. It, it, it's good on turn two. Like, sure, you'll play it out as a two-mana two-two. But I think this is so much better in the late game after you've maybe already played out a Swarming Goblins. You already played a, you encounter some goblins. And you have maybe a, a token or two laying around. You then pump this thing, and it pumps your Hobgoblin Captain. You swing in, you get the pack tactics, you pump your team. This thing is a good late-game top deck, which is rare for two drops. However, this is also just great to play on turn two. Love the, the Battlecry Goblin Draft Chef Hero alert, maybe? Yeah, Yeah, I think it's also interesting to mention here, Battlecry Goblin didn't show up in the game games played win rate list. It was not in yeah. that top 20 cards or whatever. And I think what that's really kind of telling us is that this card doesn't particularly matter in the real red-black decks that do the sack thing like it's gonna it's gonna help and it's obviously when it's drawn it's pretty good but mm. it's not something that necessarily makes it into those decks as often probably getting cut for you know another price of loyalty or something like that yeah i've noticed that sometimes these black red mirrors stall out where you're just waiting for the next person to draw something you're both hiding behind uh vampire spawns and uh, maybe a sepulcher ghoul that can't attack into something bigger or like skullport merchant makes a pretty effective blocker I can see top decking a Battlecry Goblin, and that really just, you can just send with that thing. It's going to trade for at least one of their things, and then you got a little Goblin coming in that's probably also going to trade for another thing. If you have eight mana, you play it, pump it, swing, pump a few more times, and you just put a ton of power on the board. So I think the Battlecry Goblin is a great late-game board stall breaker, especially in this very specific metagame that we have seen here. For sure. It's also potentially worth mentioning here, they, 17 lands gives a, a category or a column for number seen and all of these other like red black pieces are ex except for dragon's fire and goblin morningstar are in the multi multiple thousands like roughly around 2000 
copies of these cards have been seen. Battlecry Goblin is sitting at just below 400 at the time of recording this. And so we're also like, there are far less of them around, which is also probably why we see, because the game's played win rate is when it's main decked. And if there are far less of them in the decks, it's not going to have as high a percentage of that because there are less opportunities for it to win, I guess. Uh, although if you put it in the deck and it wins every time you put it in the deck, you would have a hundred percent games played win rate. So <laughs> I, I'm not sure about that exactly, but uh, yeah, just something I thought worth mentioning that we've seen a lot less of them so far. Yeah, we're still dealing with some, I guess, relatively smaller sample sizes. But for a lot of these pieces, we're seeing in the thousands. So I, I, we can be pretty confident saying what we've said about the Black Red stuff so far. So obviously, Black Red Sack is busted very strong in the specific quick draft. The bombs and the other colors uh, are just nowhere to be seen on these lists, right? Uh, wh where, where are they? <laughs> um, the vector of this deck is just so good. The plan here, obviously, steal one of your opponent's things. Preferably something that's, you know, good on rate or has maybe a good attack trigger, something like a, an ogre to get some treasures. You don't really want to take something that had an ETB or, or like taking a vampire spawn just doesn't really feel like you're getting away with that much. Try to get something at least a little bit bigger or at least like their biggest thing on board. Steal it. Make sure you have your sacrifice outlet ready to go. Swing in with it and maybe you stole it with a treasure so it even gets a little bit pumped. Swing in with it. And then make sure they don't get it back at the end of your turn, whether that's sacrificing to Skullport Merchant or your Sepulcher Ghoul to make it bigger during combat or to a Deadly Dispute, or there's maybe a, a few other options, Tiger Tribe Hunter or stuff like that. And then you, you kind of just go from there. You're probably getting value off of that sacrifice, whether it's making the Ghoul bigger if you stole like a one-power creature maybe or a two-power creature and it got blocked. If you are playing... Deadly Dispute, you're drawing two cards, making a treasure. If you're playing with a merchant, you sack it, you draw a card off of it. So all of this stuff helps you get in for these chunks of damage. And then you have your other role players in the deck to help get in for those chunks too. Swinging with a ghoul every now and then, buff some stuff with a Valor Singer, make it so that your 2-3s can attack into their 2-3s by making one of yours into a 3-3 three, three for, the, for the combat step, and then just kind of get in for chunks of 3-4 to four damage, and then that's it. Price of Loyalty essentially acts as a kill spell that also deals three to four points of blockable damage to your opponent and enables some other value engine, whether it's card draw or treasure or power buffing or something good. Yeah. And now, I mean, we've been really focusing on the on the sack package, but the deck does exist without said sack package. It's okay. Like it's, pre it's pretty fine. Black Red Midrange is a deck that we've seen even before, like everybody caught on to the, the sack outlets and such. It's a deck that performs pretty well, and it does okay. The cards are still pretty strong. The deck can win. Uh, we've seen trophies with it in the past, and uh, it's it's totally serviceable. It's a deck that you can play. But Black Red with the sack package is probably one of, if not the strongest limited decks we've seen in a handful of years, I would, I would venture to say. It's very, very powerful. The presence of free two-mana sack outlets at common and uncommon, a three-mana turn-against effect, plus all the treasures that make sure you're smoothing your draws, turn on different bonuses that you might get. They all come together to really make this deck tick and function with all cylinders firing. And you can just do the treasures thing too, but with the sack and the treasures, the deck just is ridiculous. It has some very busted draws. It can do a lot of the aggressive things. And I think that's another reason why even some of the aggressive decks have a hard time racing black red because most of the components in the aggressive decks are red creatures and the black red is just playing all of those creatures anyway. 
So you still have like the captains and, and a lot of early creatures to kind of gum up the board when you need to. Obviously, Ghoul and Price are the kind of, that's the wombo combo, right? That's like what you want to be doing. So when you have those two pieces in your deck, you really know like, okay, we're going to be doing this, the sack thing. And then you can add in some other uncommons like the Death Priest, the Merchant, or just Tribe Hunter and, and things just kind of go crazy from there. They skyrocket pretty quickly. Yeah, this deck has a lot of little tiny synergies like the Death Priest uh, making a token after you've stolen and sacked something. Or if you try to, say, kill their Tiger Tribe Hunter with a, a Grim Bounty and then they sack the Hunter to their Ghoul, you don't get that treasure. And that, like, that, that just little tiny edge can end up doing such huge work. That means maybe you don't get to play your five drop or your six drop on curve like you wanted to. The presence of a free sack outlet in Sepulchre Ghoul cannot be overstated. This means that uh, you can sack something in response to it being dropped. They never get to venture because it never hits the board. There's just so many little interactions with free sack outlets that are always better than they seem at first glance. And I think that's why this one might have slid under the radar for a bit. Ghoul, especially because of that cap on the buffing, at first we were a little disappointed. This is no Nantuko husk, right? But Dude, if this was Nantuko Husk, they must have known about this, and this was their way of capping it and making sure that the, the ghoul wasn't just the best common in the set. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, there are talking to like the little intricacies of the deck that you're mentioning, there are a lot of ways to kind of two-for-one with this, because you can, you know, steal their, their Hoarding Ogre, swing in with your Tribe Hunter, roll your die, get your treasures, sack the Hoarding Ogre to kill one of their other creatures, like... Mm -hmm. You know, you can do a lot with just that one, I guess, kind of two card combo, and it's not hard to get. <laughs> so just some specific notes about specific cards. Kalein is good in both versions. If you have the opportunity to take a Kalein, you'll put it in the Black Red Sack deck, which, of course, you'd rather be in that deck. You'll put it in like Black Red Midrange because playing a four drop on turn three with a counter is just good. And it's just too much value to pass up. Put Kalein in any of these decks. If you're going into Black Red, you don't want one price and one ghoul. You want as many of each as possible. However, you want to stay about even with your turn against effects and your sacrifice effects. So you want to probably have like three to five price of loyalty and then three to five ways to sacrifice. And of course, recurring sacrifice outlets are always going to be better than instantaneous ones like Deadly Dispute. So having stuff on board like the Sepulchre Ghoul or the, the Merchant just allow you to always have that reliable sacrifice outlet. Honestly, just leaving those up on your opponent's turn, if they try to steal one of your things, you can just sack it in response and then that prevented them from getting all that value. So really weird value grind fests going on. I'm not planning on touching it again. I, uh, I'm not a masochist. I, I want to draft some green white and have fun with it. But uh, just another note, this vector is pretty narrow. So it does have these other vectors kind of hidden within it. Black red midrange is okay to be in, but it isn't nearly busted as sack. So I think we're going to kind of use this as a case study on the black red sacrifice deck. We are seeing black red sack decks at their peak. And now we kind of know what the best versions of these decks look like. Like a bunch of sepulcher ghouls, a bunch of like skullport merchants and other ways to steal and sack. This is going to kind of help us know what to look for in human drafting. So I'm planning on taking some of the skills that I learned here, such as want to have a good number of ghouls and a good number of prices, that the fact that sack is so much better than just black red midrange that you should really prioritize taking the ghoul over anything else if you already have uh, the pieces for the sack deck. It's kind of like the, the cycling deck, where even if you opened, I remember that there was a time when I was drafting cycling, and 
I, I had a, a good number of cycling cards already in my deck. Pack three, I opened a Luka, which was the, the red Mythic Planeswalker, and a Dranith Stinger, the, the, the little 2-2 that pings when you cycle. And I put it on Twitter. I was like, what do you take here? Bomb Mythic Planeswalker that gets you value or little 2-2 that, that fits. And a, a few pros responded. They said, just take the 2-2. Like, when you were drafting a constructed deck, quote-unquote, like that, you really want to take as many components of the game plan as possible. In our case, we can now say of the vector as possible. So I don't know. Uh, you're going to make some weird draft picks, but you can make some pretty stupid black-red sack decks. Yeah, I think this has kind of been a conversation around like pick orders and card ratings and all that stuff. We've mentioned it a couple of times in the past, but this is why a lot of those things are looked at or should be looked at in context we talk about context very very frequently on the show your pick order only matters relative to the cards you've already picked right pack one pick one the pick orderings that you come up with matter a lot because you don't have any other cards so to kind of start off you need to pick cards that are high in the pick order or rated highly and things like that once you start to collect these cards and you're starting to put a deck together your pick orders need to adjust because if you open a complete bomb that's completely off color in pack three, it might have the highest card rating and it might be highest in quote unquote pick order, like in a vacuum, mm. but it doesn't fit your deck. So you can't pick it You should, or you shouldn't pick it and you shouldn't play it. That said, when you're in these like black red shells like this and similarly with the cycling, if you already have a cycling deck, you're just going to take the Drana Stigger and it's probably much, much better that card rating relative to your deck is much higher than Luca would have been in that situation. That was a level up for me. Passing an on-color Planeswalker is not an easy thing to do, but sometimes it is the right thing to do. Just uh, maybe treat Quick Draft as black-red cube for a little bit. Yeah. Use this as a training ground to figure out how you can get your best version of the black-red sack deck. And maybe you can use it to hone your skills a little bit. Practice picking up a bunch of Sepulchre Ghouls and a bunch of Price of Loyalties because you can. And eventually they'll fix the bots and maybe it'll be a little more playable. But I am going to be sticking to best of three human drafting for the time being. It's also interesting. One thing that I was expecting to see just before we move on to our next little section here. One, one thing I was expecting to see out of Red Black that I talked about in the format breakdown was I was kind of expecting to see more of a hey, we're going to generate a bunch of treasures and then I'm just going to play a bunch of off-color bombs like we saw with like the Svela decks in, in Kaldheim. We really haven't because, well, the Black Red Sack deck is like, I'm not going to play any bombs. I'll let you do that. And then I'll just take them and get rid of them. And that's that's fine. <laughs> to be fair, I did jam a Xanathar in oh, my Oh, you Black totally can. <laughs> you totally you can. can. I haven't seen quite to the level that I was hoping to. I wanted to see someone jamming like a Tarask in their Black Red Sack deck just because they could. Oh, wait, I did. I did play a Mind Flayer with zero blue lands. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I watched LSV draft a pretty sick red-black deck. It's kind of Grixis-y, and they were splashing, uh, I think, Ray of Frost and Mind Flayer, and it was pretty solid. Yeah, I was playing, I think it's Unexpected Windfall, the four-mana card that makes two treasures. Curving that into a Mind Flayer is nice. But anywho, uh, enough about Black Red. Let's talk about the antidote to Black Red because a lot of talking about Black Red and what to do about it. In Quick Draft, I hate to tell you, but nothing. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's nothing you can do about the bots. Uh, we have no control over that. Yeah, if you want, you can try to force another two-color pair. 
I did play against a handful of non-black red decks. I even played against one deck that didn't play any red. That was over the course of two whole drafts. So, so that was a that was a treat. Did you win that match? I did. Yeah. Well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend it, but uh, maybe I would rather try to focus our efforts on human drafting, where black red is also kind of the the top of the pack. So. It seems from the data, again, this was one of Sirkovitz's points, and just go read his thread to, to hear more about this. It seems that the data suggests that green-white is probably one of the other strongest archetypes and one of the best in playing against black-red. And so if, if you're looking to specifically make sure you're short up against the black-red matchup, we're not saying force green-white, no more than you should be forcing anything. But green-white does seem to have some pretty good matchups against black-red. Why exactly? Still kind of up in the air. We have a few hypotheses. Your ambush on the road allows you to kind of own the price of loyalty. It just costs one white to leave up, and you get to balance your thing back to your hand. White also has good ETBs, so if they try to steal your owlbear or your priest of ancient lore and you bounce it back to your hand and get to redraw, awesome. Plus, these cards that ETB and draw a card, you've already gotten some value back from them by the time they steal and sack, so maybe that helps. There's some incidental life gain. There's some cards with ward, especially at higher rarities, and some instant speed removal that can potentially blow out the whole steal and sack to the ghoul or the merchant combo. So 17 lands data does overall suggest that this has the best win rate against black red. However, in quick draft, still force black red. Yeah, I mean, it's not really forcing. You're handed the, the deck on a silver platter most of the time, but... Overall, for green-white, you know, the life gain thing is a solid vector. We've been seeing a lot of good stuff with Trellisara in our Discord as well. Like, a handful of Trellisara decks have been been posting good numbers. Looking at the data, Lurking Roper and Arborea Pegasus seem to have good overall win rates. They're kind of at the top of their class for colors when they're main-decked. Sirkovitz, as Ben mentioned, did talk about green-white in his seminar and seems to have the hypothesis that they let you kind of close out games before Black-Red can actually get the engine online, which... Makes sense. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And so far, the data seems to agree with that as well. Overall, you know, take this information, use it to fight against the black red menace that is in quick draft, potentially, especially in human draft, but maybe, maybe give it a shot in quick draft. And uh, eventually, when the bots are corrected, you know, look to green white because honestly, the other, even without looking at the data, just my own sort of experience, the other archetypes are. Quite a bit below. They they haven't quite reached the bar of even just green, white, let alone black, red. Uh, they can be fun, but competitively, I haven't really seen it. All right, that does it for us. That is our quick little intro slash deep dive on black, red, and uh, what you can expect to see there. Let us know what you're doing with with black, red in the quick draft. We'd love to see who can kind of post the best black, red quick draft deck in the discord definitely check that out the, the link to that is in the episode description as per usual also if you're interested in supporting the show you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft half pot it means the world to us and keeps us doing this week in and week out if you want to reach out to us outside of the discord the best place to do that is on twitter you can find me at Renick alfredian ben at betafish one and the podcast at draft half pod directly we also have a merch store so if you're interested in picking up some draft half merchandise you can do so at shop.draftchaff.com and pick up your pint glasses with our logo or shirts or whatever fits your fancy. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. So speaking of bots, we know that the bots, apparently they're not always the smartest. They're not always you know up to snuff. 
you work in the tech field, correct? I do. When is the robot uprising happening? Why hasn't it happened yet? Well, the inside info that I have is that it has. They've just been so good about it that nobody's realized it yet. Oh, oh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a good thought to have. So uh, my theory is that I turned off Siri. So that way, uh, when the robot uprising does happen, th they'll remember me is not one of the ones that was always yelling like, hey, Siri, play Baby Shark 15 times in a row or some nonsense like that. I don't want to be on their bad side. You know, yeah, I, I assume they'd remember. You're just going to be remembered as the one who ignored their entire existence. That can't be much better for you. What am I supposed to do? Turn on Siri and like have nice calming chats with it yeah exactly just hey how's your day going i'm actually working on writing an ai myself uh, at the moment it's slow going because it's a side project and not something i'm devoting a ton of time to but um his name's reginald and right now he does a handful of things he can open web pages for you and search the web for answering questions nothing too sophisticated just yet but my hope is to eventually smart home my house with it that's sick yeah, it should be. It's It's been fun to work on at the very least. So if nothing else, I, I'm learning some stuff and it's been a fun project. So you didn't name it Jarvis? No, I went with Reginald because I like that name better. I actually, my, I wouldn't have named it Jarvis in the first place. I would have named it Alfred. Because, oh, yeah, because that was my Batman. second choice. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask about that too. But I, I don't know. For some reason, the name Reginald came to mind and I really like it. So it just, that's what I went with. It's also a little more unique, I guess, than any of the other, the other names. That's true. Maybe you had some experience playing with our uh, our old three mana seven six rotting Reginald. Yep, uh, I didn't play too much with that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I I just really like the name Reginald for like it just sounds very butlery and very like classy and sophisticated. And I also really like British accents, so I default programmed it to have a, a British accent. And so Reginald is a name that I think fits a British butler better than. I don't know some of the other stuff. I, I I don't know. I I don't really know where it came from either. It's the funny thing is like didn't like actively try to come up with a name. It just like came to me and that's what I went with. Are you sure Reginald didn't kind of subliminally message you to to <laughs> maybe it happened to show you a few extra ads that one day? And, well, at the time uh, he didn't exist yet, so 